You're listening to the Changing Normal Podcast, where we strive to outdo the old normal and reject the new normal. And now your hosts, Owen, Dan, and Ben. Hello, and welcome to the Changing Normal Podcast, episode 33. And this week, we are going to chat a little bit about, of course, what we did this week, uh, or the last couple weeks, and talk about uh, modern survivalism, prepping, I don't know. What are we calling it? We don't know what we're calling it yet. So that's probably going to be part of what we talk about. Uh, <laughs> but first, uh, yeah, what everybody, what's everybody been up to the last couple of weeks? I was wrong. Oh, Ben was wrong. Let's mark this on the calendar. <laughs> well, I was saying before we. <clears throat> what, really now, what, what do you mean, Ben? Like you are wrong as in. Bitcoin isn't the way to go. That no, we should only be buying altcoins. That's that's what you're trying to say. No. Well, see, I was going to say pirate chain, but then there uh, someone got hacked on their Discord server, so they had that <laughs> issue. Oh no! Again, it seems like every time you turn around, there's an issue with pirate chain lately. But yeah, they. Uh, I mean, it's all of the technology and everything that rolls around with. Zed snarks and or ZK snarks or whatever, how that all works. I can imagine that there's going to be something that somewhere that someone will utilize. No, I was wrong about float. Um, I got onto it because I saw Jack Spearco talk about it and how he was, uh, this was back, you know, kind of in the altcoin phase of my <laughs> cryptocurrency journey. <laughs> Oh, it was a wee lad. <laughs> <laughs> my time horizon, my time preference was very little. Uh, no, I, it's um, the management team at Float has decided to pivot and actually become more of a social media platform aggregator. Uh, basically, you know, you just you can manage all of your social media platforms through what is now called Flex and is not Float anymore. Um, they decided to pivot just because of kind of an analysis of the markets i what they were going to do with their their float token was it was going to be very similar to bitcoin uh you know the release and the uh what they call it tokenomics of bitcoin i know i've probably i've talked about this at length i'm pretty sure in the previous episode but um essentially i mean they're still creating their own token so it's like you guys aren't really it's not really a believer in Bitcoin. So uh, <laughs> I think it was probably a combination of how terrible the altcoin market has been doing. And uh, and then they also said, you know, investors and stuff were saying that there was a bit more of a a shift necessary in the, in the space. So that's what they're doing. They're shifting. I hope it, you know, I hope it goes well for them, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of more into the, the Noster stream of things and, looking at what the protocol that is Noster can potentially become not fully sold on it yet because it's, you know, it's only three years old or something like that. So it's very much in the infancy stages, mm -hmm. but yeah. So back to work. I was wrong in a, a week <laughs> full of uh, training courses at work. So my brain is absolutely fried. <laughs> still one more day to go tomorrow. <laughs> But we've uh, we've actually almost got our chicken coop ready to roll. Um, some yeah, of the your, your shorts that you've been doing on the YouTube channel have been doing very good. 
Yeah. So I, I just figured, you know, I'm not, I'm not a great talker on my own. So I figured, you know, I can probably talk for about 60 seconds and update people on what's going on <laughs> with the coop. So we've, uh, last couple of things we just got to do are a uh, couple little patch jobs down along the bottom, make sure that there's no point of entry for any rodents, uh, into the coop and then do a little bit of a, uh, door frame and build a door and, uh, Steph was working on the nest boxes. So nest boxes are good to go. And then when the time comes that we actually have to use the trap door to fill up the, the loft or whatever you want to call it, I guess, um, I'll just throw, I'm planning on just planning on doing some, uh, leather hinges for that. And then a, a little latch just with the slope of the roof. Like I was initially just going to make it one piece. And then I'm thinking, well, based on the size of the trap of the, the hole, I can't just have it come up to the rafters because then, you know, the size of the hole is too large for you to climb up. And then, you know, I can't mm -hmm. have it open the other way because it would hit the slope of the roof. And then it's like, well, what if you open it towards the back? No, it doesn't work. Slope is in the way again. So I was like, <laughs> oh, sweet. We're going to be, it's going to be a double door to, to the top. So anyhow, yeah. So that's, uh, if people want to check that out, that's all on, all on YouTube. And you can listen to my raspy voice talk about that. So thumbs up on that <laughs> neato i haven't really started outside projects yet it seems like this has been like a transitional period so i've been like messing with winter tires and you know looking at the garden i'm like oh there, the garlic is coming up <laughs> <laughs> um making plans um uh, i do have a couple trays of onions started under lights in the basement and so i went ahead and trimmed those because they're already tall enough i needed to cut them back and they were coming up like not super sturdy either. So I think that should help them thicken up a little bit so they don't just keep growing taller and fall over. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, looking forward you, cut, to... you cut the tops off the onions. Clip, I've never heard them. of that. I've never heard of that before. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's supposed to help make them a little, a uh, little stronger and put more effort into thickening the root system in the lower part of the stem. So just nipping the, the tips off at a certain height. Hmm. Cool. So, and I put some fertilizer on. I think they were due for some extra fertilizer. So, yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Nice. Have either of you guys uh, listened to or heard anything about biochar? Dipping your toes uh, yeah. in biochar. Yeah. Listen to that. I've thought about it for a couple of years. It's, um, I guess, it's something a lot of big. Uh, content creators have done you know like richard perkins has done some videos on uh making biochar and like it just a basic pit and stuff like that um so i'm thinking about the value of maybe making that one of the uh experiments this summer to start into it definitely got scrap wood around that could uh, be mm -hmm. purposed for that yeah i think i think making the char part of it is the easy part yeah i think getting it inoculated correctly um, is the trickier part. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because I just, yeah. I even struggled just to get the stuff to make compost, just to get the raw materials to make compost, mm -hmm. let alone try to do something fancy with biochar and compost and whatnot. So, yeah, you kind of need something that's got like excess nutrients, like a hotter uh, manure, for example, that yeah, doesn't have enough right. carbon in it already. And right. So contributing charcoal to that will probably help set up a really rich compost. 
but uh, something I don't have experience with, but I might experiment with it a little bit. I don't know. It's also not top of the priority list because I can just source compost. And I'm not sure if it's like an, a super awesome hack that you really got to try or just something <laughs> like that takes you to the next level. <laughs> I'm like, I just got to get the, the base level fully operational. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. You kind of have to have a place to put your biochar. <laughs> you know, you got to have that sort of, yeah, that's right. No, I, I've thought about, it. I've heard about it for, I mean, years ago and, but I just, yeah, it's not ever, like you say, I've been top of the lists, you get the compost on, you grow the vegetables and it seems to work all right. Um, especially when you're doing things like no-till and such, right. you're already, you really leaps and bounds ahead as far as soil life. Right. And I think that's what your biochar really is contributing in large part is the soil life more than just straight nutrients. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if you agree with that based on what your understanding of biochar is, but yeah, I guess part of it is the physical structure. And so then how, like what you've got for humus and different soil aggregates, maybe a factor, like if you're in an area where you're short on that, trying to boost that as high as possible will mm -hmm. probably help you maintain more of the helpful microbial and fungal activity. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess it depends a lot on what you've got to work with already. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I've been pretty busy. I, it's been a couple weeks, but I pulled out getting in preparation for uh, beekeeping this year. I pulled out all my swarm traps, pulled out all the uh, frames that I had in them. Uh, I had to put wax foundation starter strips on the uh, tops of the frame. So I went through and did all those and put set up one of the hives in the orchard, built sort of a little stand frame thing and, and put that up. Actually, there's a video on the YouTube channel about that. I was just about, <clears throat> I was just about to say, head to the Changing World Podcast <laughs> YouTube channel if you want to see the video. Yeah. Yeah, I, I there's no no way I'm going to catch up to your views with your shorts, but <laughs> it's all in the hashtags. Yeah, that's you right. just got to check and see which hashtag is doing really well, and it's you know somewhat close <laughs> to what you're doing, and then you're just like, yeah, put that hashtag in there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's I kind of just playing with that. It's not an immediate immediate need, but I'm trying to not be rushed at the last minute uh, with it. Uh, I had to replace a well pump for my dad. Oh, a couple man. weeks ago or a week like and a half ago. Submersible? Submersible yep. pump? Oh, yep. dang. It, uh, just shy of 40 years old, that pump. Wow. <laughs> so he didn't feel too bad about having to replace it <laughs> at that age. So <laughs> it's been a been a good pump. Um, yeah, so got got that all done. And... Uh, Last night, I went out and pruned all my apple trees. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about being super stressed about game one. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I guess it wasn't last night. It was the night before. I'm, I'm trying not to focus on the on the pl hockey playoffs. All right. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you guys are just laughing at me. I yeah. know. You need help, Owen. <laughs> oh, I'm a Toronto one of fan. Those places I... where you can you can just get it out and say hi. My name is Owen, and I'm a Leafs fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely a glutton for punishment. <laughs> so I pruned the apple trees. That was. I was a little aggressive. I think that's okay. I think I did a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there was, I had like my apple, I don't know. These apple trees are probably about 15 years old now. So they're definitely at the stage where they should be producing decent apples and they do produce apples, but they're always small. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know. I look at commercial orchards and the way that they prune them. And I have these nice round apple trees. When they're all leafed out, they're beautiful, but they're not really great. I don't think for producing fruit, way too much foliage, Mm -hmm. light can't get into the middle, you know, so, and, and they, I mean, I, I barely know what I'm doing when it comes to pruning. So haven't really been the most dedicated to it over the years. So it was, but there's a lot of work to try to kind of get them back to where they're supposed to be. Um, so yeah, I kind (laughs) of went in. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I think about pruning and like how aggressive you tend to be, I think of the old animated, how the Grinch stole Christmas. And you know, the, like the, the antlers that he ties to his right, dog yeah. and the dog is <laughs> like a super branchy antler and the dog goes clunk, right? And then he takes us off like, it's yeah. just like nubs sticking out of That's what I think about when it's like, how aggressive should you be pruning? It's like, <laughs> like the Grinch stole Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always paranoid to take off too much, but I still, there's certain things I look at and I go, I don't even know what to do with this. Do I, should I cut this off? Should I leave it on? But I did go in on a number of the trees and take out, because they're tall enough now, I went in and took out the middle limbs so that I have two tiers essentially of branches, of main branches coming off the the trunk. Nice. Mm -hmm. And the light now should be able to get in to the center of the tree much better. And yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. I know I probably, there's one tree in particular. I probably took 30% of the tree, which I know is pushing the max. So I'll uh, see how that goes and see how <laughs> might not have any apples for a couple of years, but uh, see how we make out. Yeah, it depends. Cause sometimes that can trigger fruiting and an attempt to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it just encourages a lot of the shoots that go straight yeah. up, but. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I know if I prune, I'm going to have to keep pruning. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. the yeah. the adage. If you never prune, then don't ever prune. But if you start pruning, then you're going to have to keep doing it, which is fine. Once I get it to the shape that it should be at, then I think it'll be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, So that and then uh, we did a Bitcoin presentation uh, last Saturday. Yeah, it was. Uh, Another one of those. So that was, yeah, it was. It was one of our, I would say, our better ones from my perspective, as far as our presentation. But the slides helped yeah. immensely. Yeah, it was all online, so we were able to do a lot of more visual stuff than maybe we we normally would do. So, um, did you get uh, yeah the final member into your Shake Squad? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, so yeah. So I guess that 
is everything we did this week. Um, if you folks have any feedback or want to send us hate mail, you can send it to changingnormal at protonmail.com and go over to our YouTube channels, our Twitter feed. Um, there is a Facebook page up, though. We haven't really done anything with it. Like, share, subscribe, whatever's necessary um, to get our name out there. Did you know Proton kind of changed their, uh, whatever it's called, their domain a little bit? So you can hmm. you can send it to protonmail.com or you can send it to at proton.me, as in Mike Echo. Oh, nope. Didn't know that. <laughs> I, I, got a, I got an email from someone. And uh, I had to, um, I had to include them in a draft reply to multiple other people. So I needed to copy their email. And when I tapped on like the the email information in Proton, it was like, you know, my personal email at proton.me. I went, when did hmm. this happen? So I was like, scroll down through my inbox. I was like, oh, here's an email <laughs> from Proton saying, oh, we changed this. Cool. Yeah. Probably a, a wise move. You know, we're in the emoji. Uh, generation, so anything more than eight characters can't possibly be typed. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we all now have an attention span shorter than goldfish. <laughs> what were you saying? Squirrel? Yeah. Why, why did goldfish get picked on? I mean, they seem to stare at the wall for hours. I mean, that's dedication, man. <laughs> Uh, oh, one uh, one follow up note I want to throw out here from uh, the last some of the last points we talked about in the the part two episode uh, about banking. Mm. I think we'd hit on at the idea. Um, I think we'd actually mentioned John Pugliano and in, in his podcast. So I went and caught up on his podcast <laughs> so I could uh, <laughs> see what he talked about. And uh, I think it's worth clarifying that he didn't say the the money printing form of banking was what had uh, spurred economic development, just the fractional reserve type lending, which I'm okay with as long as uh, the banks don't hold a monopoly and don't get to uh, create government tender. Um, I'm okay with fractional reserve lending at, at its face level when it's not the kind that's printing new money. Right. So it, it kind of well, goes back into the, the terminology can get very cloudy. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that's, that's, I mean, we talked about that is the difference between honest fractional reserve, honest banking right. and dishonest banking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I re-listened to it as well, Dan. And I don't change, I don't change my stance on, could we possibly have come leaps and bounds further on a hard money system, but well, see, a hard money can still have fractional reserve banking. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that, like you and you know, you and uh, like the three of us could have a, a lending system where we're advancing money. So, saying lending and it, the uh, development of banking tools helps spur the economy. I think I feel like that bit's common sense. Mm-hmm. It's like if you have a great idea, why should you have to work to accumulate capital and delay? that productivity when you could get a loan and start the productivity immediately. So it makes sense that it would accelerate economic development and productivity when you can uh, borrow capital and pay it back in the future. 
So that to me kind of makes sense looking at it as a timeline, right? So being able to borrow instead of having to accumulate capital yourself really can save decades. So I'm a, I'm a fan of that. Mm-hmm. It, it really comes back to the problem is uh, new money creation and the monopoly on banking. Like I don't even care if a bank wants to create IOUs as long as they say IOU from bank of such and such, right? <laughs> I just right. don't think they should be able to create as many new IOUs that are uh, transacted in as dollars. So cut, yeah. cut the monopoly, let people lend in a free market. And we're all cool. Right, right. All right. Uh, I want to get on to the the main topic, but first I'm going to ask, have you guys ever read um, The Richest Man of Babylon? On the list. Um, <laughs> I was listening to it uh, being read by, uh, oh, what podcast is that? Anyway, there's a podcast that was recording chapters at a time. Oh, okay, so cool. I think I've, I'm about halfway through reading uh, it now. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really uh, good. Radical personal finance, I think it was. Oh yes. Yeah, he really? should definitely get into audiobooks. He's got a good voice. But uh yeah, that's super awesome. So how far in are you? Uh, I'm about halfway through the book, so n- not not crazy far, but uh I'll I, I might maybe something that we can do or I can do a review on or mention more in depth once I finish it. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely one of those books that is well written in its story type format. Like I would give it to my kids to read, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of book because it's not super long, it's not super technical, um, and has very basic, clear, uh, principles in it. I mm-hmm. think so far. So, yeah, I would rate it very highly as far as capturing the power of storytelling to advance That's right. a few simple but very important principles it's like you could rattle those off in five minutes but it's like yeah. do you retain those and uh you know they capture your mind so that uh you kind of change your thinking patterns or recognize new patterns as yeah, a result exactly so, exactly yeah i found it helpful what i've heard so far yeah yeah all right, so uh, yeah, jump into our main topic. Um, main topic. This is going to be definitely a multi-part, maybe show, and I think we're probably going to end up doing a whole series of episodes on this topic. Um, and I've just sort of labeled it, you know, the 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 seven points of modern survivalism. But we won't even talk about those seven points to start. I think first we need to talk about what is it? What do we mean when we say that? Because you kind of hinted, Dan, that that you have a problem with the terminology. I wanted to kick off a a language debate here. (laughs) Because you do have, I don't know, baggage to different groups or whatever. It's like you can Mm -hmm. talk about prepping. And that used to be a neutral term. And then, of course, we had Doomsday Preppers, the show on, uh, (laughs) what was it, Discovery? I don't know. Discovery. I think I've watched two episodes watched of Doom Days Preppers, and I made me so mad. I had to, I could, I couldn't watch it. 
so yeah, it can come with that baggage. It's like, oh, you're one of the people that's preparing for the the zombie invasion. <laughs> and I actually love the zombie apocalypse as a joke, but when it is portrayed as something you're taking seriously, mm-hmm. uh, then it's just like you're going to drive people away instead of uh, helping them actually uh, take meaningful step forwards in their life to be prepared for things that are actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say even the term survival i think that's not exactly our goal i mean he wants to just survive anyway so i mean <laughs> survival is the bare minimum <laughs> so in that sense <laughs> no, it's like true. trying to set a baseline it's like not please don't die <laughs> yeah but maybe that's where the modern part of it ties into as well yeah i mean we've seen a, a similar thing in uh i think the uh i guess what do you call it? It went from organic farming practices, you know, that whole side looking at changing the way we uh, uh, grow food and, and look at the agriculture sector. And so sustainability became the buzzword, right? Mm. But then people were like, well, just sustaining ourselves is not enough. We should be building something better. So, you know, perfect time <laughs> for a new term, regenerative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buzzwords definitely are a thing. And even like, I mean, organic is the perfect example. Organic used to mean something and then the government got involved and regulated it to death. And now organic doesn't mean anything like what it used to mean, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there was the budget where, oh, it's natural. This is natural chicken. This is natural corn. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean much either. So the the buzzwords definitely are, (laughs) definitely Mm -hmm. are a problem when they get taken more mainstream. Mm Mm-hmm. So some of the terms are very important. Some of the labels, I guess. I mean, you want to know that your almond milk is free range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Pasture-fed pecans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but where did they get the little milkers so, for the for the almond milk? That's what I need to know. <laughs> God's up in heaven. He goes, how are they making out down there? They started making milk out of almonds. He's like, I gave them how many animals to get milk from? And they went to a nut. So I don't have a I don't have a rebranding suggestion yet. I don't know if it's something we need to have a a think tank session on. Um, Right. Well, I mean, what is the goal? Well, the goal. I mean, the the reason I like modern survivalism is because I think. It, it gets away from the term prepper, which has a bad mm-hmm. connotation. Everyone is kind of cool with survivalism with the idea of, hey, you know, Les Stroud, Bear Grylls could do cool stuff in the woods and survive. But let's face it, that's not, you're right. So just survival isn't necessarily um, what what our only goal is. And we live in a modern world. We're not you know, going back to the 1700s or 1800s. And so the modern world dictates modern solutions. And so modern survivalism sort of gives you that idea of able to withstand problems that we might come across in life using modern means, modern methods and whatnot. I don't know if that's a fair breakdown of why i like that term but 
Um, mm. Yeah. I guess we could call it building a resilient lifestyle. Absolutely. I was leaning to, I was leaning towards uh, personal resilience. Yeah. Individual resilience or something like that. But yeah, well, definitely beyond the individual level too. Although I think that's where you have to start working is on yourself before you try mm-hmm. to fix anybody else. Um, but yeah, it's also about, you know, family resilience and community resilience. Mm-hmm. So, well, all of those things are, are, yeah, all those things are made up yeah. of individuals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the problems with uh, so much in the, I don't know, I hate to keep saying, you know, bad, bad mouthing the prepping community, but one of the, one of the big problems is that there tends to be so many extremes where, they, they are preparing for things that are not high probability events or threats. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say there are a couple camps. There is that dedicated doomsday prepper who has a particular scenario or two in mind, their pet scenario, mm-hmm. very dedicatedly preparing for that. You know, maybe that can be an interesting hobby type thing as long as you don't get lost in it. And then I would say there's an- another group and that is, the reactionary prepper, the one that's buying, you know, buckets of stuff for the next disaster that's imminently coming. Um, yeah. Now, Y2K is the one everybody likes to point back to. I don't even remember that being a, a craze. I was I was too young to participate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but even, even, I mean, dare I mention the name, the word, even COVID, you know, there's been other things that have been very reactionary to and people and that's the other side of reactionary is where you're now faced with the problem and you have to react to it and uh, recover or prepare for something that is on your doorstep. Right. And that's what you're trying to avoid is to not simply be, oh, it's a pandemic and now I have to source, you know, masks and gloves and hazmat suits and hand sanitizer and you know whatever else you feel is necessary to survive your particular Mm -hmm. so that's the other part of not being reactionary you want to be out ahead of that so that when it happens you go yeah well i guess i don't need to rush out and buy all the toilet paper because i already Mm -hmm. have all the toilet paper you know Mm -hmm. yeah in the the prepping on a longer timeline means i think you have more more reasoned measures you're more likely to have, for example, appropriate medical tools and supplies mm-hmm. and not simply be cleaning off the shelves at the last minute. Exactly. And or I think things you is, don't need, don't use in the end. Yeah. Right. And I think this is where people have to be realistic and where I think a lot of people fall down in preparing and not being reactionary is that they don't have a, tr- a, a proper understanding of the actual high probability threats that the common sense goes out the window and it's suddenly, well, we're living as we are now and I'm preparing for complete social chaos and, you know, roving, you know, Mad Max Mm. type, you know, scenarios where I'm going to have to, you know, shoot my way through town to get some medical supplies and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm saying that's a lot lower probability than 
there's a forest fire and your house burns down, <laughs> you know, or there's, you know, uh, I don't know, the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup and there's a riot <laughs> around your <laughs> around your block where you live, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, maybe that's really far fetched. Um, <laughs> Toronto winning. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out the odds of that. Is it more likely that they win or that I might need those iodine tablets? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, so I think it's yeah. We need to the first step in saying I want to be a modern survivalist or. Uh, have individual resiliency is or a resilient life. Is that what we're going to call it? Resilient life. Uh, is this idea of well, I need to be prepared, but I also need to be realistic about the probabilities and I still need to have a life. Um, we still have to live our lives through whatever happens and not get mm. too caught up in the end of the world as we know it type scenario. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody really wants to live in a bunker as uh, awesome as it sounds to possess a bunker. <laughs> Who wants to sit in there with your five gallon buckets of beans and rice? Mm. That's, that's not, uh, that's not living a meaningful life. Which kind of goes back to surviving isn't enough. It's, I think, really about what you're building. Definitely something, all of us, where we have uh, kids that were definitely looking to the future. And, and part of it is not just being prepared for the next disaster, but actually, I guess, gaining important knowledge that has been lost over the last couple of generations and launching the next generation with those skills from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Stay tuned for part two as we discuss more about modern survivalism. And remember, take small steps, be courageous, and change your normal every day.